0: We want to just praise you for your who you are, for your sovereignty, your power, your love. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died for us on the cross when we were your enemies. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you that salvation is as simple as hearing good news and believing it. And the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and he was buried and then raised on the third day. And again, whoever simply believes in your son, Father, because of your grace, because of your justice, your righteousness, being satisfied by the Lord's death, it's simply just a matter of believing the truth. So, Father, this morning we want to ask you for the assistance, the guidance of the Holy Spirit today as we worship you in song and in the word of God. And we ask also, Father, for you to watch over the church, particularly the members of our congregation, but also Folks that are in countries that are being persecuted. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Just uh, a couple of announcements. I don't know why this got mixed up, but it did. Summer vacation coming up at the end of August on a late summer vacation this year. It'll be from August 22nd to August 30th. I think that's a Monday to a Tuesday. I'm not quite sure why I'm putting it that way, because we, all, we all, it's really what matters on Thursday and Sunday. No services Thursday, August 25th, or Sunday, August 28th. Okay? Just want to remind everybody of that. This morning, um, we are going to try to have a song service for the first time in a long time. And so, folks here, if you could stand... If you you, you can't or if you're blocked, then don't. But obviously, it's customary for us to stand when we're singing Worshiping to the Lord. I hope those on Skype um, can hear it and do the same thing, participate. Mark, should I leave the microphone on or should I I mute it? Mute it. it. I'm going to mute now. So it's going to go from me to the music. Bye. testing one two three can you hear me on the microphone okay, excellent all right everybody that's that's a preview of what we might say at the end nope nope and we're catch caught up title of this morning's message but if anyone walks in the night if anyone walks in the night please turn to the gospel of john chapter 11 verse 7. gospel of john chapter 11 verse 7. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. We saw last week that verses 9 and 10 opened a door into a vast subject in the Word of God and in a vast subject in the Gospel of John, particularly. Last Sunday, we took a journey in the Gospel of John, if you remember, to find light and darkness day and night. What did we find? Let me give you a brief summary as we get started this morning. First of all, we saw that light in John's Gospel is life life eternal life god's life and though there is darkness darkness did not and will not overwhelm the light the light shines in the darkness yes and the light came into the world to enlighten every man and those who believe in the light the truth of the gospel have eternal life but most men love the darkness unfortunately Later on, we saw in chapter 8 that Jesus announces that he is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And as long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world. Then we saw in John chapter 9, verses 4 to 5. I'll read it to you. Because here, He, for the first time, talks about day and night. Day and night. In other words, he talked about light and darkness. And then he put it in the context of time. A day and a night. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am light to the world while I am in the world. In the day, in the day, which is his public ministry, Jesus works the works of his father. That's what day meant to Jesus when he talked about Day and night in terms of himself. There was a daytime. He talks about it in chapter 11. We saw this morning that there's a 12 hours. And we saw that 12 hours. misspent meant that no matter what time of year it was. at sun up. That it's the first hour started. And that sun down. The 12th hour ended. Okay. So he has that day that the father has reserved for him. To perform and complete. His public ministry. On the earth. When night comes. His work will be over. Jesus, the light of the world, will, would not always be in the world. And then our passage this morning. Again, Jesus answered in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks... Yes, Just now, or has it been that way for a while? Oh boy, oh boy! All right, we got to get back. Got to share again. Share again. I don't need to share the computer sound, though, right? Uh, Unless you're doing a song at the end. Oh yeah, that's right. I am. Always good. Always good. Why not? Am I back? Okay, good. Whew! All right, let's continue. John chapter 11 verses 9 to 10 again Jesus answered, "Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, if anyone is walking participating in this context because he's talking to his disciples in the day in the day of his public ministry when he is still in offering to, to, the, to the nation of Israel to, for him to be their Messiah when even after the, the leaders rejected him, There was still time for individuals during that public ministry, during the day. And the disciples, while it was day, while Jesus was with them, before night falls, it was safe for them. They shouldn't have any fear. Here in chapter 11, there are 12 hours in the day. Remember, we went from light generally today to now 12 hours. And so he's kind of making us think. More and more specifically, slowly as it were, understand the specifics, the details, that there are actually 12 hours. And that means that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to the day. In Jesus talking about himself, the day was his public ministry. That was the time, again, that he had to complete his mission on earth. That was the time that he had to complete the works that the Father had given him to do. But soon the hour will come for Jesus to depart from this world. He's the light of the world as long as he's in the world, on earth. But then he will depart from the world. And then the light of the world will be gone. Okay. What does that mean? Well, if I talk about every person, it means this. Each person must walk while they have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Each person must walk while they still have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must take that first step, as it were, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in that gospel. And then then as believers, we walk. We walk not by sight, but we do walk according to the spirit or we walk according to the flesh. But the light is the truth about Jesus Christ, the good news what his death and his resurrection means for the, for the unbeliever, and then every day of our lives as believers. We never, we never go away from the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's look at John chapter 12, verses 35 to 36. John chapter 12, verses 35 to 36. Keep your eye on the hour. Keep your eye on the light and the darkness as we read this together. John 12, 35. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Just a little while. What is he saying? He's saying that the last hours here. He's saying for a little while longer, the light is among you. Now there he's talking about the people in Jerusalem at that time. He's saying walk while you have the light, me, in context, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And in context, the darkness is a world, a life without Jesus Christ. doesn't know where he goes. While you have the light, now he's talking about directly to the Jewish people at that time. While you have me, believe in me. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that 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 no Jew after this would be saved. Of course, that's ridiculous. We know that we know that when after Jesus arises from the dead, we know that Peter goes out on that Pentecost day and preaches the gospel. And thousands of Jews believe what it is saying is that there was an opportune time when Jesus was here with them for them to believe individually and as a nation. OK, and that time is running out. While you still have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Believe in Christ, the light of the world, and you will become a son of light, a child of God. A child of God possessing eternal life. And then the light will be in you. This morning, we're going to see how this metaphor of the 12 hours of the day, the last hour, and night time applies to well really everyone everyone we're going to see how we're we're going to look first at the nation of israel and how the day the 12 hours and then night applied to them then we're going to look at individual jews at that time then we're going to look at the lord jesus christ and how this applied to his life then we're going to look we're going to keep going. We're going to look at the disciples and us and even on to the end of time. It's going to be quite a morning. Again, this is true for each and every person on earth. In every human life on earth, there are 12 hours in our day, in our life. When that last hour ends, darkness falls on that light life and it is night. Again, when that last hour, Jesus is going to talk about the last hour this morning. We're going to see that hour also being described in other places in the Bible. When it ends, darkness falls. In terms of an individual, it falls on that person's life. And it is night. In terms of the nation of Israel, that last hour was when Jesus offered the kingdom and they rejected it. And it was night. For the disciples, it's going to mean that when Jesus is going, about to leave them, there there's a, there's a last hour time there and then he's taken from them and it is night temporarily for them this is true for every individual for every person there's 12 hours of day and of course remember we're, we're not talking about a literal 12 hours we're talking about that time span from when the sun rises in their life to the darkness falls in their death every human life that's true it's true of nations it's going to be true the earth itself there will be a day when the earth will be no more so let's take a look at that first of all let's take a look at it in connection with the nation of israel and remember the thing to look at when we want to understand the response of the nation of israel the nation as a whole to the lord jesus christ as their messiah we look at the religious leaders We saw we're not going to go there this morning because we've seen this. But at the end of John, chapter 10, verse 40, we saw how Jesus had said one more time, listen, if you don't believe me directly, believe the works. And he talked about the fact that his works are the works of the father. And then they wanted to stone him. It was their final rejection. And Jesus left. Remember that the next time he would come to Jerusalem, they would carry out that plot. They would they would they would send. they rejected him. And now they're going to they're going to play that out. But the, the implications of that would be, of course, for them to put him on the cross, to, to arrest him, put him on trial. And then he goes to the cross. Now, what was at stake for the nation of Israel in that time that ended when the leaders? you know, finally, systematically just rejected Jesus Christ. Well, at stake for them, in other words, the, the the 12 hours of the day for the nation of Israel was the establishment of the messianic kingdom. As a nation, that was what it was at stake for them. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. I want you to see how, how the Lord, through the prophet Micah, please turn to Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Micah chapter 3, verse 5. I want you to see how serious, how seriously the Lord takes the decisions, the words of the leadership in terms of the fate of the nation. In, in, the, in the prophet Isaiah, we on Thursday evenings, we've seen that. We've seen that that very often Isaiah, in appealing with the Lord's words, was appealing to the leadership. As the leaders went, so goes the nation. I want you to see it in another perspective this morning as the way that the prophet Micah talks about it in terms of false prophets leading the people astray. Look at Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. That is what the leadership, that's what the chief priests and the Pharisees did with the nation of Israel when Jesus Christ was offering the kingdom to them. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore, it will be night for you, without vision, and darkness for you, without divination. The sun will go down on the prophet's and the day will become dark over them. And that day occurred, again, in terms of the nation, in terms of the leadership at the time that Jesus was there. When the, when the leadership, Pharisees and, and, and chief priests and scribes, the ones who were the prophets in a sense of their day, it, it, not, in the, not in the predictive way in which prophets operate, but in the, those who were responsible to speak the words of God to the people. Completely failed them. So not only that, but Jesus was also talking to the, the people. You have the leaders, and he's talking to the people too. And so we're going to next consider the 12 hours of day and the last hour it, in, in the lives of individual Jews in Jesus' day. And I want to make that distinction really clear. Because the nation as a whole... It, it, its destiny is according to the leadership and whether they reject or accept the Lord. But every individual has their own life, you know, every Jewish individual. And there will always be some. Remember, we saw really in the first chapter that most would reject him. But those who did accept him among his people, the Jews, they become born again. And so so as, as it were, the Lord continues to talk to people as individuals, even after The nation as a whole rejected him. But in terms of that, in terms of really his public ministry to the Jews at that time, that, of course, ends at the end of chapter 12. He will speak for the last time publicly to Israel, to Jews at the end of chapter 12. And from then forward, it was a private thing between Jesus and his disciples and Jesus and his father. And then what would be set in motion would be the, the last hour leading to darkness in terms of Jesus being uh, taken by the soldiers and beaten and then brought to the cross. At stake, again, for these individual Jews, while the light was still with them, was their individual salvation. Right, let's take a look at that. Let's go to John chapter 12, back to John chapter 12, starting in verse 35. John twelve thirty-five. Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, in other words, it's very late in the day. For a little while longer, the light, Jesus, is among you. Walk while you have the light. The darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Again, by the way, verse 36 applies to everybody. Although here Jesus is directing it to the people in Jerusalem. While you have the light, me, believe in the light, me, Jesus, so that you may become sons of light. Go forward a few verses to verse 44. This is really the last thing he's going to say about this question of whether or not individuals will believe in him. John 12, 44 to 46. And Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Once again, we see Jesus tying himself together, as it were, in words, or telling people about the fact that he and the Father were one. It's interesting in the Gospel of John how you you have both statements. What I mean by that is there are times when Jesus says, "Believe in the Father for what He has done," you know, in my in me, and then other times is, "Believe in me." But since they're one and the same, okay, both of them are really saying the same thing. The Father's offering salvation through Jesus Christ, right? Whoever believes in the Father's offer, whoever believes in Jesus, will never perish but have eternal life. Again, verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. Again, I and the Father are one. I have come as light into the world. And notice again that he's talking about the light in terms of him being in the world. I'm planet Earth in the public ministry. You know, he's going to say in, chapter, in chapters 13 through 17, he's going to say, I'm no longer in the world. That's why chapter 12 is the end of his public ministry. So he's now he's right at this. This is like like dusk is falling. In terms of the life of the nation of Israel, in terms of their their, their opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse four, he who forty five, He who sees me, Jesus, sees the one who sent me, the Father. I have come as light into the world. Remember that's the light of life, an offer of eternal life. I've come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus let's talk now about Jesus himself because he applies this more than anybody else he applies this to himself in the gospel of John meaning that there're 12 hours in his day meaning his public ministry and that there is the last hour that's going to come for his for his ministry on earth for him being on earth the last hour will come let's look at him talking about exactly that in the in in uh, well first of all let me set this up so you understand in like ways, Here, here's now who we're talking about, what we're talking about. And then we're going to look at what did it mean for Jesus in his work to be in the last hour and to have that last hour end. Okay? Jesus' mission finishing the work that his father had given him to do. That's the 12 hours we're talking about now. okay? It's really from the time his public ministry began, Really? And we're gonna see this all the way up to his death on the cross. Okay. When did that last hour end for the for the mission of Jesus? Well it ended in glory. It actually ended in John chapter nine, don't go there. We'll see it in a minute. It ended in John chapter nineteen, verse thirty. He's at the cross and he says it's finished. And literally it's finished. His work, his mission. What was at stake for him? It was it was the biggest stakes of all. Sure. The nation of Israel being brought into the kingdom was a big deal. Individual Jews believing in him was a big deal. But the biggest deal of all was Jesus' mission because that stake in that was the salvation of everybody in the world, every person in the world. Let's let's look at this one step at a time, one stage at a time. We're going to step through in some detail this last hour and how it went from light to darkness. We begin with the last hour. Please turn to John chapter 12, verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. He's in Jerusalem. He is speaking. It's interesting that here, there are some Greeks that wanted to see him. Now, for a long time, I just thought that was an interesting aside. John is just talking about something that happened. But it's far more significant than that. Because he's really talking, that these Greeks that came in were actually representative of the Gentile world. And so now, after the nation as a whole has rejected him, now he's starting to talk directly to Gentiles as what Jesus, at the last hour, begins, brings in, for, and see, we start to see... In John, really not, not so much in other places, in other Gospels, how how now Jesus is, as in a sense, is inaugurating, in a sense, or at least anticipating, the fact that there would be Jews and Gentiles who would be saved together. In any event, John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come. The hour has come. He, he had said in chapter 11, there's still time, right? There's 12 hours in the day. Now he's saying, hours come. The last hour is here for the son of man to be glorified. And remember, we've seen this, that being glorified here meant going to the cross, glorifying his father, finishing the work that the father had him to do. We know that because of verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He is talking about himself. When he says this, what he's saying is, my hour has come. I will be glorified in this last hour. And let me tell you what, how that's going to happen. You see, as he so often does, right? Jesus takes a, a an image, a metaphor, if you want to call it that, a picture, uh, something symbolic in everyday life. And then he turns it into something incredible. Now he talks about a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying. He's talking about him Dying on the cross and being buried, all right. It remains alone. He was all alone. Okay, when he died, pretty much when he was in the in the grave. But if it dies, if he dies, he bears much fruit. Because why? He will be he will be raised from the dead, and then the message will go out, and he'll tell his disciples, "I want you to go to all the nations." And we're still seeing today the fruit that came out of. The seed that Jesus went into the earth and died, and then, of course, was raised from the dead. Go forward now, please, to John chapter 13, verse 1. When the Lord's hour has come, now Jesus is going to leave the city, he's going to be with his disciples. One more. By the way, it's interesting. You might wonder, why am I saying apostles? The reason I am not calling them apostles is because John doesn't. He never uses the word apostle or apostles in his gospel. As a matter of fact, apostle is much more frequently seen um, after after, uh, the gospels when you see them in the book of Acts and and so forth. Peter, Peter and Paul and um, anyway, so that's an, that's kind of an aside. But I think it's important to understand why I'm not calling them this uh, apostles yet. Now he's with his, his disciples, his apostles. And he's going to, 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 he's about to celebrate the feast of the Passover, which he will do. He'll have a Passover meal in an upper room. And then he will have this incredible set of preaching that, by the way, only John records. John's Gospel is unique, okay? It's very different in almost every respect from the other three Gospels. Some Over 90% of the material in the Gospel of John appears in none of the other Gospels. One of the things that we get in the Gospel of John, okay, particularly in chapters 13 through 17, but also after the resurrection, chapters 21 and 22, Is Jesus talking about what's happening next in detail what is it going to mean when he when he goes to be the father what he's going to tell them about the Holy Spirit coming upon them and many other things he's going to talk about him as the vine and them as the branches and the tremendous fruit that's going to come from the disciples preaching the gospel the apostles preaching the gospel. In any event, John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had finally come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. That was the hour. What's he talking about? Well, the hour had, now this is the final hour. OK, the hour is going to pass. He's going to pass through this hour. He's going to pass through the, the darkness okay, of, of his suffering and death on the cross. But then he's going to depart. That's the ascension. When that happens, literally, the light of the world, Jesus, will no longer be in the world. Okay, That's what he's talking about. The hour, his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Just like he, he expressed his love, he will express it in chapter 11 for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And he had his love for his disciples. and loved them to the end. That's the last hour. What happens when the last hour is done? In terms of what we've been talking about, 12 hours, daytime, last hour. Daytime, sunset. Night. Yes, night. That's next. Yeah, there's a nighttime in Jesus' life night falls. Please turn to John chapter 13 verse 27. John chapter 13 verse 27. The figure that represents night for Jesus is the person called Judas Iscariot. He is at, as a, he's at the center of the of night falling. We're going to see a couple of passages Right, we're gonna look at John chapter 13 right now, verses 27 to 30. This is now this is one of his disciples, one of the twelve. Look at verse 27. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. One of his disciples, one of his apostles. Satan entered. In other words, now this is happening in the upper room before Jesus asks him to or invites him to leave, right in the presence of. Of the light of the world is, is the is the Satan, who is of the darkness, entering into one of the disciples. That's nighttime beginning. Right? Notice, after the morsels, Satan then entered into Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table, the other disciples, the other apostles knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing... Because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast or else that he would give something to the poor. Misunderstood again. That's a that's another feature of the Gospel of John over and over again. His disciples misunderstand what he's talking about. But then verse 30. So. After receiving the morsel, now what was that? This was the last opportunity that Judas had, right? They're at the the supper. The the, the, uh, honored guest at at the supper would be the one to whom the host would give the morsel. He gave it to Judas. Judas took it and ate it. And then after receiving the morsel, what happens? He went out immediately. You know how sometimes you're watching the sunset. And you think like it's taking its time, and then all of a sudden, boom, it hits. And you're like, where did the sun go? How do we know that? Look at the next four words. And it was night. And, and again, a lot of people will read that and just say, okay, yeah, it was nighttime. It's way more significant. Okay? There's a spiritual significance to what's going on here. Right? He leaves, and it's night. And after, after nightfall, you have a little twilight. Then what do you have after that? Darkness. Let's look at the darkness in the in the life of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Luke chapter twenty-two, verse fifty-two. Luke twenty-two, verse fifty-two. The last hour, the night falls, then in these into darkness. Just like everything else here, there's a double meaning. Okay. The darkness is clearly. We're going to see this. There is a natural component to the darkness that we're talking about when Jesus is on the cross, but way more significant is the is the is that is darkness what it stood for. Look at Luke chapter twenty two verse fifty two. Now, what are we now? The the, uh, the Passover meal is over. Jesus is, has invited his disciples to come with him into the garden of Gethsemane. There he suffers tremendously in, in, in his last hour. And then what happens is it's time. And then Judas is bringing Jesus' worst enemies right into the garden. Very symbolic. Remember, because Satan was already in him. And now he's entering the garden. That reminds you of anything. I'm talking about Genesis, right? Luke chapter twenty-two, fifty-two. Then Jesus said, To the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him. Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? Well, I was with you daily in the temple. You did not lay hands on me. Notice Notice how he puts this next. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. You see, darkness is much more than just, oh, it's nighttime. The moon is out. He's saying, you, talking about the chief priests, officers, and elders, now they have their hour of darkness to do what they would do, what they wish with Jesus. This hour and the power of darkness are yours. Go to the next chapter, Luke 23. Because then they put into into action the darkness that was in their hearts. Jesus arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is taken, beaten. He has illegal trials. He goes before, before Pontius Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to put him on the cross, but he's a coward, and he lets the mob convince him to do something he really knew he shouldn't have done. And then he releases Jesus, or so the soldiers who take him up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and then they nail him to the cross, and then the cross goes up vertical, and lets the sun be lifted up, but if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He's lifted up. And then at that point in time, by the way, it's the it's the third hour. This is something people miss. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. OK, it was the second half of that where darkness fell, where Jesus was actually taking on his own in his own body, the sins of the world. It's why darkness falls. Look at Luke literally. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. That's noontime. And notice, once again, we have time in here. We are are aware, we're oriented to the time. What time is it? Now it is about the sixth hour. And notice, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, what's the sixth hour? Noon. What's the ninth hour? 3 p.m. If there's any period of time in the day that you would never expect the sun to go away, it would be then, right? The sun is highest in the sky at noon, right? And yet it happened. It's it's a miraculous thing, which tells you that there's something really important spiritually about that occurring. And it was because the father was, as it were, blanketing Jesus in, in darkness, not, not evil, although evil was there, but so that he would be able to suffer more than you can imagine, more than humanly possible, because he was bearing the sins of the world. He did that in the darkness. He said, darkness fell over the whole land until ninth hour, 3 p.m. Because the sun was obscured, and then the veil of the temple was torn in two. Again, symbolic we won't get into that. And then verse six forty-six: 46, and Jesus crying out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last the darkness it, and then we finally get to the end when he had completed his mission completely in other words he preached to the to the nation he he'd set up his uh, his disciples for what would come after he would die and rise and go back to the heaven with his father he would then die for the sins of the world and then we see the very end the moment when the darkness was over. Look at John chapter nineteen, verse thirty. Back to the Gospel of John. Most importantly, notice that that as it were, time slows down. We in 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 most of the gospels there's a inordinate or obvious use of of scripture much more said about this short period of time. This 24 hours. Okay. And then there is of any other 24 hour period. And that's appropriate because why this would be the time when Jesus would finish his mission, die on the cross for the sins of the world. Look at John 19.30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, completely. His mission was finished. His his time on the cross was finished. But most importantly, his dying for the sin of the world was finished. He had accomplished it. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Those are the 12 hours of daytime in the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ. Then you have the disciples. They had this similar thing. Why? Because they, in their... 12 hours their course of 12 hours it's pretty much following the course of the lord i mean i mean they were there for him from the beginning right they were with him mostly to the end okay not completely but but that their pathway their their walk followed his like you to turn to john chapter 16 verse 32 john chapter 16 verse 32 what jesus says to his disciples really the the last thing he's going to say to them, okay? Because then he's going to, chapter 17 is all the most amazing prayer. If you want to see the prayer of Jesus for the church, okay, it's not the Our Father. It is this, okay? John 17, We'll, we'll get there. John 16, last words that he speaks in the upper room. Verse 32, Behold, an hour is coming, There again, our, now he's talking about his disciples. An hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. Each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. And then we see now Jesus wanted his disciples to literally stay with him till the end. He wanted them to stay awake in the garden. Peter brags oh, I'll be with you to the end. Does he he do that? No. All of them stumbled when the hour of darkness came, except one. That's the writer of this gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who stayed with him till the end. He was at the foot of the cross. But on the first day of the week, all of them but Judas saw a marvelous brand new day. They all receive a new day, the marvelous light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's look next at unbelievers now, because they, too, they have their 12 hours of daylight. They have their life okay. during their life. Remember, Jesus said he's the light that enlightens every man. He said that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. OK, his 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 salvation ministry was worldwide, universal right? It, wh- whoever believes in me, right? Uh, whoever believes in the Son of God will never perish, but have eternal life. Whoever, Greek, Jew, American, European, Chinese, Africa, doesn't matter, okay? But every unbeliever has 12 hours of daylight, his life. Really, if you want to think of it more technically, it would be from the time in which he was he or she was able to hear and understand a message, the Gospel, till the last breath that it person takes. That's their 12 hours. What's at stake? Well, what's at stake is their eternal salvation. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, the the writer says this, and inasmuch as it is appointed, this is the 12 hours of daytime, appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. We all get one life, one life to hear the gospel, believe it one life for for us as Christians to witness to others the gospel. After that, for the unbeliever comes judgment. Jesus kept saying that. Right. He says, listen, everyone who doesn't believe in me, you, you essentially been judged already because the words that I speak will we'll judge you on the last day. And you've rejected my words. So you've judged yourself Twelve hours. Look at Second Corinthians chapter six verse two. Second Corinthians chapter six verse two. There is a concept in evangelism that there is a sort of a best possible time. For somebody to hear the gospel and believe. That is not the same thing as saying that once that time passes, they have no opportunity. All it's saying is, is that, you know, the, the way in which this person's life has interacted with God's sovereignty. There is a time when they were they would be most open. OK. And what what Paul's going to say here is don't miss it because <laughs> that's your best time. Notice 2 Corinthians 6 two, where he says that the acceptable time I listen to you. This is the father listening. Okay, why? So that the person who believes, right? And on the day, the day of salvation, I helped you. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Behold, now is the acceptable time. See that? We've gone from 12 hours. We've gone from light generally to the day to 12 hours and now a moment. Now. By the way, it's always now. Always now. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, now is the time to believe in him. Don't put it off. Don't be like that rich man who said, I'm fine. I've got my barns full, right? I have no problems. And then that night his soul was required of him. This is serious, okay? Now is the acceptable time. Now, right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the time for you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in him. Now, don't wait. Every unbeliever has 12 hours. How about believers? How about us? How does that fit into our lives after we believe in Christ? Well, it's kind of like sports. I don't know what sports you like. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll give you three. Okay. First one, soccer, about which I know the least. Okay. But in soccer, there's this thing about putting extra time right on the clock. Right. Right. Well, well that's what happens for us. In other words, there's a time in which we're unbelievers, okay, but then there's a brand new time where something totally different is going to happen after we believe in Christ. Or if you're a football fan, right you can say it's overtime. If you're a basketball fan, you can say you got the rebound and there's a fresh 24 seconds on the clock. It doesn't matter, but the idea is that new time is given, just like new time was given to the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead. Our race as a believer is over when we die or when we're raptured. That's when our 12 hours are done. What's at stake? I'll tell you what's at stake for us as individuals. What's at stake is our spiritual growth, right? Now that we are believers, now that our seed has come out of the ground in a sense, and we can grow spiritually to maturity. And then that ultimately leads to rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Reward for for the things we have done, whether good or bad. Of course, there's a lot more at stake. You know, um, we're going to see this when we get to the church as a whole. Because for the church as a whole, the Lord is placing something amazing as the purpose. And we'll see that in just more than one, but we're going to look at one. Look at Ephesians now, for first chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Twelve hours given to the believer after we believe to essentially glorify God in time so that, so that he, he is pleased with us in that, in that way, that we have taken what he's given us and we have put it into effect in our lives, the word of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power that's at our disposal. Ephesians, Notice how Paul puts it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were formerly darkness. But now you, you are light in the Lord. You see, you, in a sense, you're reflecting it, but you're in Christ. And by the way, Christ is in you. So you are light in the Lord. Well, walk that way, right? Walk as children of light. How do we do that? For the fruit of the light, the, vi- the vine of whom were his branches, consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We live according to these things, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? In Romans chapter 8, we, we learn that Jesus we were not able, okay, to, to carry out the, the righteousness of the law. And so Jesus died and rose again, and the spirit came into our hearts, and now we can live righteously. Goodness, right? Whatever things are good, whatever things are pure. Think on these things. And then truth. Truth is the heart of the matter. Are we going to orient to the truth of the word of God, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, or not? Are we going to allow ourselves to be conformed to the darkness of this world in the sense of rejecting the word of God and going our own way? Now, we're always saved, but there still is something at stake in our lives. And then verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Now, I'm choosing passages. There's, there's dozens we could talk about, of course. But I'm choosing passages where this image of light and darkness is used. You've probably noticed that in, in Ephesians 5. Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Sadie, what do you think? Amen? Yeah. Don't be grumbling. Don't be disputing. obey your parents. Us, right? Don't be grumbling about the life God has given you. Don't be disputing things that you're convicted by by the word of God. Don't be fighting with one another. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God and above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Darkness. There's light and darkness. So in the day of Christ, that's the rapture now, when he comes for us, I, Paul, because he's running his race too, well, I have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. There are things at stake in our lives as believers after we're born again, after we're regenerated. Okay, seven, the church age. Now we're, we're expanding out again. Now we've talked about individuals. Now we're going to talk about the church as a whole, the body of Christ. And obviously there's so much to say. But I want you to understand that there's a... It's a unique period of time. There's darkness and there's light. You know, in certain respects, the word of God says this is the worst of times. Right? The world is getting worse and worse and worse. The persecution is getting worse and worse and worse. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. You see, there's great darkness in the church age. But it's not us. It's certainly not Jesus. It's the world. Because the light has never been more brilliant either, right? Because we have Christ in us. So it's one of those times where there's light and darkness at the same time. That can't happen. Well, actually, it happens in Florida. Every time we get a thunderstorm, it's like there's clouds, and then you like, the next neighbor has, has sunshine. It's like, I don't know how that happens. It didn't happen in the So there's a specified time of both light and darkness. Now, what's at stake for the church as a whole? There are many things, but I want to bring your attention to one of them, which is that God's wisdom... Is being made known to the heavenly rulers and authorities. The darkness in the heavens. The Lord is using the church to express God's wisdom to them. Look at Ephesians chapter three, verse eight. Ephesians three eight. I have to skip over Romans. You can go back later and check it out. That's darkness and light. Ephesians three eight. When you see this, though, Paul writes Ephesians three eight. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's where we. That's what we get to receive, to hear, to have part of our souls when we actually listen to the Word of God preached. When we actually go to the Word of God and allow it to direct us. Through the darkness of this world, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's what people are missing out on, by the way, Christians who don't who don't come to hear the word of God preached unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things so that purpose The manifold wisdom of God might now, see it's now, be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That's what's at stake. Far beyond anything we can imagine. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then finally, I want to briefly touch on this. And that is that this whole present earth will also face its last hour will face this last hour. Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens themselves will pass away with the roar. Elements will be destroyed, all of them with intense heat. The earth and all its works will be burned up. But according to the promise of God, we, the church, ourselves, the whole earth is waiting. the creation is waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Then there will no longer be Ever, ever, ever again, any night. I already read 2 Peter 3 to you. Let's go to Revelation. Where else are we going to go to hear the final part of this story? What happens ultimately with darkness and light? Let's go to Revelation 21. We're now going to the heavenly Jerusalem, come down to earth. We're going to see that Jesus, the the Lamb of God, is there. God, God the Father is there. Okay, And there's something about that. That we're going to just see quickly. Look at Revelation 21, 23. Heavenly Jerusalem, come down. And the city has no need of the sun. Let's look at this. No need of the sun or the moon to have to shine on it ever again. Why? For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then look at Revelation 22, 5. Let's go to the next chapter. And there will no longer be any night. Can I get a praise the Lord on that one? There will no longer, thank you, no longer be any night ever for all of eternity. Darkness will be completely gone. They won't have need of a light, of a lamp, or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. It's a great way to finish up this one. Ultimate, ultimate things. All right, Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for enlightening us this morning, for giving us an understanding of how you've placed this idea of hours of the day in every life and how you placed it according to the plans you had for your son. And we ask, Father, now that we would, we would pay attention to the application of this, understand the race that we're to run. And understand what's at stake for us is the body of Christ and why it is that you want us to preserve unity so that we may function effectively as you ask us to, both in terms of with one another, with this dark world, and even into the heavenly places. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The end. But it's not the end because we are going to sing one more song this morning. Now you're going to get the whole message in reverse. Look at that. Starting at the beginning, a new day, and appropriately enough, we're singing "Amazing Grace." If everyone could stand up.
1: Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and great.
0: didn't it walk through us right through that those days all the way to the New Jerusalem alright that's why I had all the stanzas in there today because you really need to hear them alright hey uh, Thursday evening Bible study 6.30 you know um, and you're dismissed have a great day while the sun